Welcome to Friends Church, August Long. Bit of a quiet start for us today, isn't it? Uh, to all the people online, give you a big shout out. Um, today I want to start, me and Alessandra kind of go back and forth with this one, but I want to start with a story that I heard just a couple weeks ago. I was listening to the podcast, The Happiness Lab, wicked podcast. And it was telling a story about a, a, lame, a, a lady named Rebecca Kuduru. She was working in Africa, and they were driving her, her husband, and her daughter driving in a car, driving down the road, and somebody stepped out in front of them, and the husband swerved to avoid the person, causing the car to flip seven times. Landed up hitting a tree and landing, being lodged in a tree. The husband and daughter got out unscathed. She did not. Broken nose, broken jaw, both of her eye sockets broken. Took over a hundred stitches just to put her face close up the, sti- or the scars in her face. Her eye was shoved into her sinus cavity. And I think this story hits me hard because a couple years ago I got a call. My sister was supposed to visit the next day and I got a call. She says, um, I got bit by a dog. I'm at the hospital right now. Remember she opened, or knocked on the door the next day. I opened the door and I see my little sister, my beautiful little sister. Her face is just a mess. Eyes swollen shut. There's blood and stitches everywhere. There's something about the older brother in me that's like, supposed to protect her. We didn't know what would happen. We didn't know what recovery would look like. We didn't know anything. So when I hear Rebecca's story, I just go, oh, I know that feeling of the unknown. She spent three years going through surgery after surgery to try and reconstruct her face, to put it back together, to make her look at least close to what she used to look like. It makes me ask the question, what do we do with the things we've gone through in our life? Maybe not in the moment, but once we've kind of gone past the worst, Does she just avoid cars? It's like, (laughs) I will never get another car again. Or like my sister, avoid dogs. You know, that reaction. What do we do with the difficult moments in our lives that we've gone through? Sometimes it's a childhood, growing up different, growing up looking different, being different. Mistakes we've made, things that haven't gone well, failures. And are we just stuck with those kind of sitting inside of us now? You know, constantly trying to shove it down like, or is there something redeeming? Is there something we can do with those moments? I remember, (laughs) I'm remarried now, but... 
I was married once before. Obviously that didn't end well. I remember the feelings of going, this is over. I had planned to be with this person forever. I had planned to be married once. And now it's over. And right around that time, Alessandra had sang a song about her own relationships that were difficult. And it wasn't my, it's not the same story as mine, but it, it was like there was something in her song that captured what I was feeling. There's something in her song that is more than that. It was, it, it's, it's like it put language to what I was going through. I think that's what good art often does for us. So I've asked her to play. <laughs> I got to kind of like pick Vince's greatest hits of Alessandra's songs today. So you're going to get like a Vince concert. It's going to be awesome. But I picked this song particularly because there's something in it that moves me. And so as she sings it, I want you to see if you can connect to those difficult times in your life. Open yourself up to the painful experiences. We won't stay there. This thing's going to come to hope at some point. Don't worry. I won't keep you in the dark place for all of us who are scared of negative emotions. But I want to encourage you. As she sings the song, find those moments in your life that were hard. That you're still stuck in your head a little bit, but that you've come through. Yep, I still don't like those sad feelings. There's a story in the Bible about Jesus. It's a story that's traditionally called turning water into wine. But it, it feels like I've, for most of my life, in fact, I've read this story, I don't know how many times. I've even preached on it. The last time I preached on it, it was on the theology of pleasure. There's this idea of this supernatural act that turns water, boring, to wine, fun, theology of pleasure. But as I've been reading it recently, something has shifted. To me, it feels like it's starting to, to throw back to the question I asked earlier, what do we do with the experiences of our lives, the hard ones, the painful ones, the difficult ones? The story goes that Jesus and his students went to a wedding in Galilee, which is kind of northern Israel, southern Turkey, that kind of area of the world. And they're in there, and um, uh, Jesus' mom comes to him and says, they've run out of wine. Now, the way I'm, I've read it all the way through is I've read it through the lens of my own life. If I had a party and I ran out of wine, that would be a logistics error, right? I did not order enough wine. Oops. And so when Jesus' mom says, they ran out of wine, it's kind of like, can you believe they ran out of wine? And Jesus is like, what do you want me to do about that? Again, I'm reading it through my lens backwards. And then when the water becomes wine, it's almost like it's a party trick. The story is just set up so Jesus can go like, ta-da, wine. 
and you go, oh, that's an interesting story. <laughs> but I was listening to another podcast. I listen to a lot of podcasts, can you tell? This one's Bart Ehrman misquoting Jesus. If you like biblical scholarship like I do, fantastic podcast. They were talking about the conversion of Constantine. For those of you who aren't Bible geeks, Constantine was an emperor of the Roman era who was basically in charge of this whole section. In about the early 300s, he's marching to war. And there's a bunch of different stories, but kind of one of the, the kind of more normal ones is, as he's walking, going towards war to try and subdue some rebellion or something, I'm not sure exactly which one, he has this dream, and in the sky he sees two letters. Can you throw them up for me, Esmond? For all of you who are Greek students, the X is the, the, the letter chai. It's the CH sound. The P-looking letter is called a rho. It's the R sound. When we use the word Christ, in Greek, it's spelled Christos, and it looks like XP. Can you throw it up for me, Esmond? Just the next one, if you can. See the X? Looks like a P. Christos. So he sees this sign, and in fact, if you look at a lot of art from that time, you'll see Jesus often has hands like this. It kind of makes an X and a row symbol. That's what he's doing with his fingers. And Constantine sees this symbol and he goes, wait a second, maybe I can win. So he tells all of his soldiers, put this on your shield, and then they win. Constantine goes, well, crap. I figured out who the biggest guns in the sky are. We're all going to be Christians now. Now, he doesn't convert everybody, but something happens. And as I'm listening to Bart Erdman talk about it, they said something really fascinating. They said, in that moment, in the early 300s, Christianity became a recognized religion of the area, and elites started converting. Before this moment, Christians were predominantly poor. They were slaves, itinerant workers, sex workers. The common thing almost universally, it's not completely universally, but almost universally is they have no money. Whenever they do, they, the Bible makes a big deal about it. You know, the rich young ruler, it's like people when they introduce me, they don't say the poor pastor, they just say the pastor. But the Bible is very like, if you're rich, we got to say something. It's like the rich, okay, everyone? Rich person, really odd, not normal. Because everyone's poor. Now take that understanding and let's put it back into the story of water into wine. This no longer is a logistics problem. This is a family, and again, I'm projecting into this. This is a family who's poor. They have no money, but their kid's getting married. And culturally, they have to throw a party. They want to throw a party. It's their kid's wedding. So they go to the wine store. They buy the cheapest wine they can, and they spend everything they have. You could just see, like my mom, my mom's biggest fear as a Mennonite housewife was to run out of food. Like, this was like, you could go to hell for stuff like that. Like, horrified. I could just see my mom sitting there in the corner being like, please don't run out of wine, please don't run out of wine. 
And for whatever reason, everything they have, but it's not enough. And Jesus' mom comes to him and says, Jesus, and it's no longer the sense of like, can you believe they didn't order enough wine? Suddenly the phrase has a completely different heart to it. It's that sense of, they ran out of wine. Can you feel how embarrassed they would be? And Jesus says, he says, Mom, what do you want me to do about it? Because here's the thing. Jesus is also dirt poor. He grew up poor. He's in a poor culture, in a poor country. Says, you know, he was born in a manger because there was no room for an inn. I could say it another way. They had no money, so they couldn't buy any better accommodations. His dad's a carpenter. Don't think carpenters nowadays, you know, drive big trucks, build massive, you know, super-sized million-dollar homes. No, I was reading a book on residential school kids, and it was this one girl, and I was trying to understand why did her parents send her to school, this residential school? And at one point, she tells a story about her dad. She says, my dad was a carpenter. He made axe handles. And every day he would walk miles to the closest town, and he would try and sell those axe handles. Most days he couldn't sell anything. Those are the days we couldn't eat. When we hear Jesus' dad was a carpenter, I think that's what the heart of the story is. So here's Jesus, a poor kid, poor, grew up poor, in a poor family, goes to a wedding where the, 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 the host of the wedding also doesn't have any money, and they run out of, they run out of wine because they can't afford anymore. And Jesus, his mom says, they ran out of wine, and he's going, oh, that kills me. And suddenly, the water into wine isn't a party trick like, hey, look what I can do. (laughs) It's somebody with a heart for the poor, who grew up poor, who knows what it's like to go through this, saying, I will do whatever I can to make this moment better for you. I will take the shame of poverty away from you. Jesus says when they, at one point he says, what's my mission? What's my goal in life? He says this. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. To the poor. His heart is for people dealt with poverty just like he did. And suddenly, we have this idea, maybe, maybe the answer to what do I do with the hard things of my life, the things that I've overcome, maybe they become the things that transform our lives because they have purpose. 
They have meaning to us. Helping people who've dealt with what we do, we're going, oh, if I could help them, that would matter. For me, seeing Jesus as poor, I, I grew up, this is kind of a slang, I grew up with the Swedish Jesus. Does anyone grow up with the Swedish Jesus? He's blonde, he wears like a white robe with a blue sash, he floats through the earth, doesn't even get his feet dirty, never does anything bad, never, it's Swedish, right? When I started thinking about this poor Jesus, I was like, well, wait a second, that changes everything. There's a song Alessandra does. Supposedly, it's a Christmas song. I will argue that. But at one point, she says, what can I bring him poor as I am? And I suddenly realized this song is kind of like a double meaning. Jesus is poor. What changes when you look through the stories of Jesus through that lens? What changes in your life? As she sings, I want to open, have you open yourself up to a different picture of Jesus. Okay, maybe you didn't grow up with the Swedish Jesus, whatever. But what does it look like to think of him poor and caring for people just like him? <sighs> it's kind of a weird place to put a coffee break, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Craig. Sometimes you just got to wing it and try something different, right? So we started this message asking the question, what do we do with the difficult things we've been through? Are we just stuck with kind of like trauma stuck inside of us and like reactions or is there something more? And we started to look at this idea of if we look at the Jesus story in a certain way, all of a sudden we realize that maybe the difficult things he's been through colors the things he cares about. There's a story that I didn't tell you guys but a guy named J.R. Martinez. He was 19 years old when he joined the army. Um, within a couple months, he was shipped off to the Middle East, driving his Humvee or their Humvee through a certain section of one of the cities. The left tire hit a bomb. For five minutes, J.R. was stuck inside the vehicle, burned about 30% of his body, including his face, quite badly. Can you throw a picture up for him? He, too, had a massive recovery time. By 19, he was back in the States at the Naval, or, uh, actually, the Veteran Burn Unit. He celebrated his 20th, 21st, and 22nd birthday in that hospital, recovering. Fifteen years later, he went on that podcast, The Happiness Lab. Because he said, in those three years, he's like, I was every kind of victim. Look at me. I have every right to just give up. Everywhere I go, people will see what's going on in my face. But something shifted for him in those three years. He said, I can't, I can't live this way. And so he shifted his life. He, he actually became an actor on a soap opera. Didn't see that one coming. Now, he played a burn victim, which he did really well. Um, 
But he went on this podcast, The Happiness Lab, and it was the podcast that Rebecca Kuderu, when she was in her recovery, she said, I was going through all these surgeries. Recovery was years long. I didn't know if I would ever look the way I used to look. And what I would do during the day is I'd go for these walks around my neighborhood. And she's like, I was at the end. People were telling me, oh, no, no, don't worry about your outer looks. It's what's inside that matters. And she's like, you can go yourself. I don't want to live this way. And then the algorithm, for the first time, the algorithm does something positive. The algorithm on her phone found J.R. Martinez's story in the happiness lab. She said, I listened to this guy who's gone through so much that's so similar to me and so completely different. But it touched me. She said, I was walking down the street listening to it and I just broke down. I fell on the sidewalk and I just started sobbing. Because his story was my story. You see, J.R. Martinez had a heart for people who've gone through very hard things and were feeling like victims. And so he shares his story to help people find a way out of that. And she's, uh, Rebecca's like, that's the way I found my way out of the dark hole I was in. You see, my thesis is Jesus, a poor man who grew up with nothing, goes to a wedding where they run out of wine because they have no more money. And he cares. J.R. Martinez looks at people around the world and says, oh, you've been through hard things too. So have I. But we don't need to be victims. Could it be that the things that matter to us are often shaped by the difficult things we've overcome? I could tell you any number of mine, but I'll tell you this one. I remember being a kid. I know this is going to come as a huge shock, but I maybe wasn't like every other kid. This is the part where you don't laugh. You, you make quiet sounds that feels like somehow affirming to me. I was that kid who was thinking about things that I shouldn't have been thinking about. And I'm not talking bad things. I'm talking questions. It's like my mind never stopped. I remember being with my family, and oh, me and Alice were talking. She likes sadness. I freaking hate sadness. We're driving in the car. My mom's here. My dad's here. And I remember asking a question that was in my head. I was like, what if there is no God? And I just remember seeing my mom start crying. And my dad's just like, dead straight ahead, will not look at me. No one will talk to me. I remember thinking, what part of myself do I have to turn off to be in this family? What part do I have to hide? What questions do I have to remember? Oh, yeah, 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 you can't ask that. Now, God bless my parents the shit they had to put up with, pardon my French, but the shit they had to put up with me. But you know what? 
that hurt, that disconnect, that hiding, that stuck with me. I went to seminary to get a master's degree in biblical studies in order to try and figure out a way to get back to that way of being. Now I know now that was stage two spirituality. Nothing wrong with stage two. Stage two is beautiful. But everyone agrees in stage two. We all believe the same things. No one questions it. No one asks those questions. We all know stage two, right? I wasn't there. For me, I was in stage three, which is you you become the skeptic. I just got there early. I went to seminary, which just, I thought it was going to help me get back into stage two. What it did is taught me more difficult questions to ask. Psych, that didn't work. Now I know original languages, I know translation issues. It just, yeah, it opened a can of worms. But what it did is me and Jeff got together and we started to say, what could a spiritual community look like? What if it's a community where everybody is welcome? No matter who they are, no matter what question they have, what they believe or don't believe. What if we could create a space where somebody asking a good question would be welcomed? Oh, you you question that? Great. Let's have that conversation. What if we we created a a spiritual community where there there was a sense of the Bible that wasn't this like, this is God's words, don't ask any questions, but you could wrestle with it and play with it and explore it and let it challenge you? What if what if there's a spirituality where there's an action component? Where we're honest. These are just beliefs, they're not facts. What if we could create a space like that? That's where Friend Church came from for me. I have a heart for people who went through what I did. And it's so meaningful to me to create a space where I don't care who you are, I don't care where you've been, I don't care what you believe, you're welcome here because I want to be welcome here. Part of this whole message came from a conversation me and Alessandra had. Her upbringing was different from mine. Hers, she said there was times when people didn't kind of get her where she was, feel what she was feeling. They wanted to shift her, move her, stop feeling that. When she just needed them to be there with her. And so her wounding from childhood, started to express itself in many different ways, but one of them is in songwriting. You notice her songs always have a deep emotional connection? It's almost like she's saying, I see you. Probably in the way that she wasn't seen, or in a way that she was desperate to be seen. Could it be that the hard things we go through in our life can become beautiful things, meaningful things, important things. Has to play another one of my favorites. I'm telling you, this is like Vince's favorite playlist. It's a song called Bright Blue. It's a song that feels super honest emotionally, but it still has hope. So I should sing it. I want you to think about the things in your life that touch on it. Things that feel dark, things that feel light. And ask yourself, what things are meaningful to me?
I don't know why bad things happen to good people. I know some people have beliefs about it. I don't know why. We did a whole series called Fear-mongering that kind of explored the evolution of thinking of why bad things happen to get good people. That part of the conversation, I don't know, feels too quagmire-y. But I do believe that as we come through hard things, as we wrestle with illness, and loss, relationships that end, mental illness, as we come through these things, there's an opportunity to use these things beautifully for good. Again, I don't know where they come from, but that's the thesis of this message today. Could it be the things that you've come through are the very things that you can use that would be meaningful if you used? There's this idea in religious circles, there's the logos, the logic of how we think, and then there's this idea of the spirit, the mythos. I like the logos, can you tell? <laughs> Alessandra's the mythos today. She has another song, and again, I, <laughs> I had to ask permission because I'm taking this in a different direction. It's called Your Story. There's parts of it she asks, tell me your story. And I, normally it's a story or a, a song maybe about how we want to share each other's stories, but I think there's something in this that says, what story would you tell Alessandra if she was singing this to you? What part of your life comes up as important? What are some of the inflection points? What are some of the moments that have weight? My divorce those conversations in the car where my parents just couldn't go there. Jesus, poverty. Jerry Martinez, his accident. As she sings, and as she says, tell me your story, what comes up? I'm gonna come back and wrap that into the final part of a meaningful life in the Heart of Friends Church. We have this way of looking at spirituality at Friends Church. We describe it like this. There's a well that we're connected to. And the well is full of water that could be used all around us. The world around us is dry and parched and we could use that water from that well to create beauty and life and green. We don't do it because there's some eternal consequence, like if you don't, you're gonna to go to hell. That's not how we play this game. Ours is, we do it because the world so desperately needs it from us. And when you take that and you tie it into this idea of what is meaningful to us, you could hear it in her voice, right? She's singing to us in a way that we, she's always wanted someone to sing to. Tell me your story, I will hear you, I will see you. And in the same way, we're going, yes, this is the story I would tell. 
And if I could do something that would tap into that, that would be meaningful. The idea of taking water, we call it, you know, taking water. <laughs> this idea of taking what we have and bringing it to the people around us. If you're wondering what thing would mean something to me, ask yourself, what have I overcome? Is it creating space for people to ask questions of spirituality and religion? Is it overcoming an addiction? Alcoholism. I love, you notice how 12 step, any 12, don't put up your hand, but 12 steppers, you know this. It's like you go through the program and you find, you find health and then the last step is, and now use that to go back and help the other people. Take water in the very thing that saved your life? Have you been through hard relationships, breakups, loss? Have you been through financial stuff where it's like, yeah, I was poor or this didn't go well? Have you overcome mental illness, physical illness? What if you could take water to the people who are going through the very thing you've gone through. What would that mean to you? I think spirituality is supposed to create meaning and purpose in our lives. And I think this idea of water in that area that matters so deeply to us, suddenly, purpose and meaning of life shoots through the roof. Who is in your story? Who is going through something that you've already gone through that you could reach out to? Come alongside, support, volunteer, donate to. My mom died of cancer. Man, any one of you raising money for cancer, call me, instant donation. Always means so much to me. Feels like I'm giving it to my mom. What is your story? What is the thing you've come through? And if you took water to the people in that place, what would that do for the meaning and purpose of your life? You know why I do this now. You know why this is for you and it's also to heal me. And you know why Alessandra does the things she does and shares her heart through music. What could you do? If you put time, effort, money, resources into something this week, what would it look like? My prayer for you, our prayer for you, all of us, all the volunteers who are here today, Hospitality, coffee, production, Alessandra, downstairs, people have been running stuff during the week. All of us are here to share something to inspire you to take water in your world. And our prayer, all of our prayer, is that you would pick something meaningful today and take a step towards making the world a better place through that thing.
on a beautiful August long weekend, I say thank you. Let's give Alison another big round of applause. Have a great week, everybody. See you next week. <laughs>